Well, good morning. I'm Carrie Lewis. I've worked at the college now for 10 years, which is kind of wild to think about. Um, and first felt a call to ministry when I was a student here sitting in chapel. Um, went on to get a master's in Old Testament, which uh, I'll geek out a little bit about the Old Testament and the Hebrew language, so we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, I've been married to my husband, EJ, for almost 10 years, too. We're like serious adults now. That's legit. <laughs> um, we have a little boy named Ezra who's four. So, yes, all of you who work at Kinder House, uh, he's in the Penguins class. Um, four is my favorite age. He's so fun, has a great imagination. Uh, but we spend a lot of time now talking about choices, good choices and poor choices. Um, and if you know four-year-olds at all, they love talking about the bathroom and bodily functions. Um, but up until recently, Ezra's been the perfect gentleman in the bathroom, following all bathroom policy and procedure in our household. So he's had some semblance of privacy in the bathroom, but uh, recently I noticed he was taking a little bit longer than usual in there. So I knocked on the door and opened up like, hey, buddy, what's going on? I meet his eyes and I could tell something was up. So I looked around and I noticed everything was wet. So I looked at him again, and he just said, oopsie daisy, <laughs> somebody peed everywhere. <laughs> um, and we had the first of what I'm sure are gonna be many conversations about an accident versus a choice. Uh, and that's what we're gonna talk about today, this idea of choice, uh, a scripture that talks a lot about choices, and it's one, a scripture that we're all pretty familiar with. Um, from way back in the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, and uh, Genesis 3, the story of Adam and Eve, and we've heard it a million times, so much so that we skip over it sometimes. We got that, we know it. Um, but we're going to take a look at that today and think about it in light of choices uh, and accidents and responsibility. Uh, so let's take a look, starting in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. So it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Now let's take it back a couple of verses before this, the chapters before this. You'll remember Genesis 1 is this beautiful poem of creation. So God creates something and calls it good. He creates something else. It's good. He creates humanity and says, that's very good. And then we get into Genesis 2, where God gives them this beautiful garden to cultivate and keep there's only one rule in the garden, that you don't eat from the tree in the center of the garden. And God says, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So that leads us to our passage. We get to chapter 3 here, uh, where the serpent is introduced, this crafty creature talking with the woman, Eve. And all we really know about the serpent is she's not worried that a serpent is talking to her. She disengages in this conversation. This is not strange to her. Um, and it seems like this intimate conversation between the woman and the serpent. Like just the two of them are there hanging out, talking. Um, this is where the Hebrew comes into play. Uh, so I'm a bit of a Hebrew nerd. Um, in the English text, it just sounds like they're talking together. Uh, but Hebrew is actually he a gendered language. 
So if you're familiar with Spanish or French, you know there's like a masculine version of words and a feminine version. So if Lynn and I are talking, we talk in the feminine singular. If Regine joins the conversation, the feminine plural. But once Bubba shows up, we switch to the masculine plural because there's a guy in the space. And what we see in the language of the serpent is he's using that masculine plural. So even though the man doesn't engage in the conversation, he's somewhere present, he's listening. He's passive, but he's there. So the serpent engages, he uses his crafty nature and starts out this conversation with Eve and she jumps at the chance to correct him because he's like, did, did God say you can't eat from any of these trees? And we all like to be experts, so she engages right away and says, oh no, we can eat from all those, but we can't eat from this one here. And another interesting thing is in the language, if you look at this text, chapter 2, chapter 3, God's referred to as the Lord God, or in Hebrew, Yahweh Elohim. But the serpent starts to just call him God. And Eve picks up on this language too. Now, the Lord God's used a lot in the Old Testament when, when people talk about their relationship to God, when they're in close contact with God. So you'd expect her to talk about him as the Lord. But the serpent changes it to God, and this would be like you calling your parents by their first name. It kind of takes away some of that respect. It takes away a bit of that relationship piece. So you can see that Eve already is starting to talk about God as a thing and not somebody with whom she engages regularly. So she starts to make a choice. And then the choices start to happen more quickly. So first it says, uh, she takes a look, another look at the fruit after the serpent says, you'll not die. God just doesn't want you to be like him. The wheels start turning in her head, like, wait a minute, what? This makes God sound kind of shady. He doesn't want me to be like him. He doesn't want me to have this knowledge. Has God been holding me back all this time? And she starts seeing that boundary God had made as some kind of a threat. Like, in reality, they can have all these other trees. There's just one they can't have, but she starts to focus and hone in on the one thing she can't have. And the serpent focused on what she'd gain, and she didn't think about what she was going to potentially lose. And the choices happen more quickly. She determines, it says, the woman saw the tree was good for food. But wait a minute, God had said it wasn't. So she starts to stop, she stops trusting God's judgment and makes her own call here. Hey, this is good for food, I like it. She says it looks pretty, it looks, and it looks good to the eyes, and it's desirable to make one wise. And this word desirable, actually the same root word for the word covet that, that shows up later in the Ten Commandments that you shouldn't covet. She no longer just like wants a piece of this fruit. She has to have it. It's like in the Lord of the Rings with Smeagol. He's got to have the precious. You know, this is, she's got to have a piece of that fruit. And she's got to have it now. She wants that wisdom. And the man, again, the man is there. He doesn't try to dissuade her. He doesn't say, hey, wait a minute. You could die if you eat that. It's probably not a good idea. He says nothing. He lets her take and eat. She passes it to him, and he's just like, okay, and goes for it too. And the wisdom they thought they were going to gain, they gain a different sort of wisdom, right? Their eyes, the serpent told the truth. Their eyes were opened. But what they gain now is this feeling of insecurity, of defenselessness, of helplessness. And they panic and hide and try to make garments out of leaves. They feel shame for the very first time. And thinking of that feeling of shame, uh, last spring our son Ezra discovered fruit roll-ups. 
And so we went to the store. He really wanted them for his lunch. We went to the store, and we got fruit by the foot, which is even better than a fruit roll-up. So he was so excited about them, loved fruit roll-ups, wanted to bring it in his lunch. I packed it in his lunchbox, and the first day came home, and when I opened his lunchbox, I'm cleaning it out, I noticed that it was open. Maybe a bite was gone, but it was crammed in the back of his lunchbox. So I was like, uh, hey, buddy, you didn't eat your fruit roll-up. And he just said, oh, I just wasn't hungry. I just wasn't hungry today. So I packed him another one the next day. And at the end of the day, I opened up his lunchbox, and it was crammed in the bottom of, like, his sandwich container in the bottom of his lunchbox. I was like, buddy, what's, what's going on? And he said, um, well, this kid at school said that my fruit, ro fruit roll-up looked like bacon. <laughs> and all the kids at the table laughed at me. <laughs> um, so please don't send me, please don't give me those anymore, Mama. I don't, I don't want a fruit roll-up anymore. And it's kind of a funny story that, you know, 10 years from now, he's going to look back and laugh at that story. But as I watched my little four-year-old boy, that shame come across his face. He did not want to face that judgment again. He, so he hid it in the bottom of his lunchbox and said, like, please, don't talk about fruit roll-ups. Don't send it again. I don't want to deal with that again. And we've all felt like that at some point, that feeling of shame and guilt. Uh, so we, like Ezra, try to pack it away. We don't want to deal with it. Shame and guilt, those are feelings that are scary and make us really uncomfortable, so we hide it like Ezra. We hide it like the man and the woman and cover it up as fast as we can. Um, we don't want anyone to know what we've done or the, cho the choices that we've made. But the story doesn't end there. It goes on in verse 8 to say that while they're hiding, uh, they, they are covered with their garments of leaves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And I picture a parent here, you know, a kid who's done something wrong, they go and run and hide. And I can think of this story when I was a kid. Um, I never got in trouble, but my, my siblings did. <laughs> and one time I remember I'm sitting in our living room on the couch reading, and all of a sudden Andrew and Sarah come booking it into the living room. They jump on the couch and lay like perfectly still. And I could hear my dad walking down the hallway. My dad is blind. So their thought was, I'm going to run. I'm going to lay perfectly still. And my, dad, like, my blind dad's not going to find them. But if you've ever like, played hide and seek with a little kid, like four or five years old, they're not as quiet as they think they are. So my dad walked in the room right over the couch and was like, get up. <laughs> you know, and they looked around like, how did he know? You know? That's what I picture here with Adam and Eve. You know, they're covered in these rus the rustling garments, and they're like, oh, shoot, quick, hide, he's coming. Like, try to, like, I'm pretty sure God knew where they were. <laughs> and it sounds like first read, like, God was just out for, like, a nameless, like, just loving the breeze, loving the cool of the day. Uh, but let's take a little look at this walk that God does. The word used here, walk, it's in a verb tense in Hebrew called the hithpayal. And the hithpayal is really rare in Hebrew, um, not used very often. And it's a verb tense that's like an intense, repetitive action. And for the English majors in the room, it's reflexive. So that means that the person, only the person, is doing the act themselves. God himself is initiating this walk. And it's something that God does on a regular basis. It's repetitive. It's habitual. God initiates this walk with the humans. He wants that relationship with them. And so he takes that first step in the garden it's this continued presence. He's going out because he's initiating that relationship with them. God, God here is looking for them, seeking them out. And he doesn't just look around and be like, eh, they're not here, I'm going to head out. 
He doesn't just pull them out from behind the trees. He gives them an opportunity to come out and says, where are you? Where are you? And verse 10, it picks up. The man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And then God said, who told you you were naked? <laughs> Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, and what's this you've done? And the woman says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. This is the very first blame game here. <laughs> the two humans who are supposed to be this community together just protect themselves and point it to the other one. The man even goes as far to blame God. Like, God, you put this lady here and she did this. She made me do it. And the same thing for the woman, uh, the serpent, he tricked me. So this is really on him. So they're still not really ready to come out of hiding. They've come out from behind the trees, but they're still hiding behind these reasons, these excuses for what's happened to them, for what they have done. And the passage goes on. There's natural consequences to their actions. Their lives are not going to be the same because of what's happened. But the Lord God goes with them. He doesn't leave them where they are behind the trees. He doesn't even leave them, leave them in their leaves. They're covered in leaves that are just going to tear. They're trying desperately to cover themselves. They can't cover their own guilt and shame. And the passage goes on to say, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. The true solution to the shame and guilt can only come from God. Even when their sin should have resulted in death, it's God who restores them, God who covers them, and God who gives them pr the provision for what's next for them. So what does this mean for us? Well, some of us have been victims of the choices of others. And we feel so shamed and so guilty about that we hide and aren't ready to come out, but that's not what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about the brokenness that comes from our own poor choices. Adam and Eve were so quickly to be like, I, didn't, I did it because of this, I did it because of that. There were choices, one led to another, to another, to another, until they ended up hiding in a place where they were never supposed to be. So maybe you find yourself in a relationship that you just fell into, that you know you shouldn't be in. Or some kind of habit that just kind of happened. But it's really been one choice that led to another, that led to another. And now you find yourself in a place you're not supposed to be. There are so many stories like this in the Bible of the people of God in places they were never supposed to be. And one of them is King David. He, like Eve, took something that wasn't his, that wasn't, he wasn't supposed to have. He took somebody else's wife and then tried to cover it up and cover it up and cover it up until finally one of his friends confronts him. And he could try again. He could still cover it up, but he gives up and he stops pointing and saying, well, this is why, this is why, this is why, and says, I'm the man, I did this. And he writes these words in Psalm 51. Have pity on me, O God, in keeping with your mercy. In keeping with your unlimited compassion, wipe out my rebellious acts. Wash me thoroughly from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. I admit that I am rebellious. My sin is always in front of me. I've sinned against you, especially you. Purify me from sin and I will be clean. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a faithful spirit within me. 
Restore the joy of your salvation to me and provide me with a spirit of willing obedience. Now David chose to admit what he'd done. David chose to be vulnerable and come to God fully exposed with everything he'd done, every bad choice that he made and said, I am sorry. Because he was tired of covering it up. And just like Adam and Eve and just like David, you get to choose. Do you keep hiding? Do you keep making excuses, keep reflecting the responsibility to somebody else because it's all too much to deal with? Or do you let that guard down? Because the truth is, like Dallas Willard says, you're not okay, I'm not okay, and we're all in serious trouble. And it's in this scary place of shame and guilt that the gospel begins. This is the very reason that Jesus came to walk among us, to walk toward us. Jesus came to restore us so we don't have to live this way. We don't have to keep making these kind of choices. We don't have to be stuck in our sin. We can choose love. We can choose righteousness by the grace of God through the Holy Spirit. And now you get to choose. God walks toward you, calling, where are you? Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you that you are merciful, that you make that step, that you walk toward us, God. No matter what choices we have made, no matter where we find ourselves this morning, God, I pray that you will search us. I pray that we will know that we are your beloved, God, that you love us enough uh, that it doesn't matter what we've done, that we can come out of hiding, God. That we don't have to be exhausted, we don't have to try to cover it up, God, that we can bring it to you and you'll take it away, that you'll clean us and restore us. And God, I pray that by your strength, we will overcome that fear, that fear of judgment of others, the fear uh, that we have in judging ourselves, God, that we will no longer be a slave to it, Lord. By your power through Christ, God. Amen. May the God who hears, may the God who wraps arms of love around us, go with us today in the cafeteria, in classrooms, in the library, in dorm rooms, at work, at homes. Go with us so that as children of God, we may reflect your light and your love. We pray in thy name. Amen. Join together in the doxology. Praise God who, whom all the